mis flores Acabaditas de cortar Casei de varios colores Mis flores para tu altar Casera traigo mis flores Acabaditas de cortar Casei de varios colores Mis flores para tu altar El girasol como llama para tu ocho Y la rosa nacarada dio bacala Príncipe de pura sangre para Afternoon, whatever time it is where you are. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Divination Table. I'm your host, Michael Lennon, and tonight's guest, Professor Charles Porterfield, is a no-nonsense old school, Old Testament reader and root worker. His work has been published in the Black Folder, Personal Communications on the Mystery, or I'm sorry, the Mastery of Hoodoo. He is also a co-author of Hoodoo, Bible Magic, Sacred Secrets of Scriptural Sorcery, and the author of a dark, I'm sorry, a deck of spells, Hoodoo Playing Card Magic in Root Work and Conjure and the Sporting Life, How to Help Yourself with Hoodoo from the Streets to the Sheets. His work includes Biblical and Psalmic Magic, Prescriptions, Root Work, consultations, pendulum, playing cards, and Bible divination. Does custom-made mojo bags, candle work, spiritual cleansings, and lame tricks, and... 
work for conditions, interpreting signs and dreams, magical coaching, giving out lucky numbers, making of lamps, and good old-fashioned plain sense sense. I'm sorry, plain sense <laughs> advice. Let me reach out and grab our wonderful guest... Good day and welcome to the Divination Table. How are you, my friend? I'm fine. How are you? I am doing wonderful. I am so glad to have you here on the show. I'm honored to be on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I've been looking forward to it. You have some incredible things listed on your website, and you are a very intelligent and well-known person in the community. I'm the one that feels honored having you. <laughs> uh, well, thank you very much. It's very kind of you. So tell us a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do. <clears throat> well, I am primarily a, a, a conjure doctor. That's what I would call myself. I, uh, I practice hoodoo, and I uh, live in uh, Denton, Texas, and uh, born and raised uh, Texan. And uh, I don't know what else the hell to say to you. <laughs> <laughs> I read cards. Uh, that's about it. I mean, I've 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 had a radio show before uh, for a number of years. I'm no longer doing, uh, but uh, this is just uh, what I do with uh, what I have, and it's uh, it's a uh, an interesting and strange ride. <laughs> that it always is. So how did you get into divination? Because I know there's a story about it with your grandparents and growing up down in Texas. Well, I uh, what's interesting about that is my mother uh, is actually a, a card reader and was a, a professional card reader in uh, Houston uh, back in the 70s. And so I grew up around, and she primarily reads uh, uh, tarot cards. And uh, I grew up around tarot cards. Uh, you know, they were always in the house. They were always being looked at or talked about. And, uh, you know, as long as I was careful with them, I was allowed to even play with them as a child, to look at the images and all of that. And so this idea of divination, of being able to look ahead, look back, or look into what is uh, hidden – was never uh, how do I, it was never a new thing. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't yes. like some startling thing. It was just a part of life. Uh, my uh, great grandmother also uh, read cards a little, uh, but I never was around that much. Uh, mostly, what I was around was watching her play game after game after game of solitary <laughs> uh, or patience, as she called it, which is its proper name. And so I, you know, I never, I don't have one of these great stories, you know, about like, oh, you know, I was in the woods and like an elk came to me or something. And, uh, no, nothing like that ever happened. It was just always a part of life, you know, that you could look ahead, that you could look behind, you could see what was uh, hidden. And so uh, when I first started reading uh, tarot cards, I was gifted my mother's uh, original deck. And had them for many, many years and treasured them and used them as I slowly went from that phase, you know, where, oh, I'll just read for my pals to where, you know, oh, well, somebody thinks I'm good enough to give me money uh, to read for them. And then 
a kind of startling thing happened. <clears throat> I uh, met uh, uh, Mr. Charles Hansen, and Mr. Charles Hansen lived in Georgia. He's no longer with us. May his memory be a blessing. And he read playing cards. And he became my great teacher of that and a number of other things. And uh, I actually have his deck as well that after he passed, his grandchildren sent to me. And so as I started to read playing cards, I just found they worked better for me. Uh, you know, the, I had always had some difficulties with the tarot. It was a little too uh, psychological, a little too ephemeral. You know? I can understand that. I have the same issues myself for years. I just could not wrap my head around the tarot. I always read a deck of, they're kind of like the Grand Jew Lenormand. They are from the 1850s that my grandmother found at an auction, not even knowing, oh, Michael will like this, came home. Right. And that was the deck I read with Freers. You know, I love to be able to cherish things. You know, especially things that are either handed down or given to you as a gift. Because they have a very special spiritual connection and meaning. Well, what's interesting is I actually no longer have the original Tarot deck that my mother had. I returned it to her. Uh, she went back to reading uh, uh, professional reading and is a reader again uh, to this day. And so I just I handed them back off. I said, here, I've kept yep. these for you. Um, and... For me, the issue was that, you know, I was able to read them well enough, and there's certainly a great depth to uh, the Tarot imagery. Yes. Uh, in fact, for me, there's a little too much damn depth. Uh, <laughs> and I found that they was getting real, you know, and the way people read these days, no, you know, not trying to offend anybody, there's this whole, like, you know, Joseph Campbell Jungian thing going on, and I was getting tired of that, you know? I mean, I had a situation where I, rather than laying down three cards for somebody, you know, who's come to me and said, oh, I'm having trouble with my husband. And I look at the three cards and I go, well, yes, I see that there's trouble, but this is about learning about who you are and how you honor yourself and what about your own. This card talks about, you know, typical tarot reading. I, I much preferred, you know, the laying down three playing cards and going, he cheating on you and he cheating on you with that bitch at work. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it was just easier, you know, I mean, it's just clearer messages, but I will say that there is a reputation that is surrounds playing card readings, which I have found to be completely true. And therefore I don't try to dissuade that reputation at all, which is that they give almost brutal readings. Yes. Uh, you know, there's just no time, right? It's just like, boom, you know, am I going to do? Yes. Am I? No. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Uh, they are straightforward, clear. you know, and I, just like my antique cards, they were very brutal, and that's the way they read for me, and that's the style I've always had, is like yours. I don't candy coat, I don't sugar coat. I tell it exactly how it is, where it is, this is what's happening. I find for myself, being somewhat linear, that too much for me is too much. You know, I I like things easier. I like things that I don't have to delve into my psyche too much for. Well, I also, I, for me, I also found that playing card readings are, whereas they are more direct, they are also surprisingly much more complex than tarot card readings uh, because 
they are not as solid or stationary or singular as a singular tarot card. A singular tarot card, this is its meaning, okay? Okay, mm-hmm. maybe you have reverse cards. Some people do read with the reversals or not, and that's it. Okay, there you go. And then how does it fit into the story along the path of these cards? That's not true in my experience uh, with the American style of reading playing cards. In them, you can have a terrible card, ace of spades, okay? Ace of spades. And it depends on what cards surround it will alter its meaning, will change its meaning. You know, I mean, I, I sit sometimes with people, I'm reading for them, and, you know, I've got to put down this card, and it's a really good card, and you don't have to be, you know, initiated into any secrets to look at the Ten of Hearts and go, yay, the Ten of Hearts. And they're like, oh, hooray, the Ten of Hearts. I'm like, yeah, yeah, but it's right next to the Ten of Spades. You know what I mean? (laughs) In other words, it's meaning changes. And so you're not just dealing with 52 or if you read with a joker as I do, 53 uh, meanings. You're dealing with other meanings. And I prefer when possible to read in a run. And uh, if I can explain that for a moment. Yes, please. so from the tarot, what we gained is something that I somewhat dislike, which is patterns, okay, layouts, all right? The Celtic cross, the this, the that. Oh, it should be shaped like a bird in flight, okay, whatever. And that is not the traditional way of reading playing cards. The traditional American way of reading playing cards is in a run, which means – You shuffle the deck. You may cut the deck different ways. How you acquire the cards depends on each person. And then you just lay them out. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Some people read seven cards in a run. Some people will read 11 cards in a run, etc. And you just read them in that run. They're just in a straight line. Okay. There's not, uh, you know, oh, it should be shaped. You know, it's like sometimes I look at all these different patterns and I'm like, it's like a a box of Lucky Charms, you know. Oh, it's a horseshoe. It's a a crescent moon. It's a, you know, whatever. And the problem with layouts and patterns with playing cards is it denies you the ability to read multiple sets of cards. What three cards and three twos in a row. Three kings, four kings, two kings, the, uh, one, one red queen and one black queen together because you're forcing the cards into a pattern. Right. And so uh, that means that now we have 52 meanings plus a one for the joker if you read the joker, 53. Each of the cards can affect each other. Okay, so it's 53 to the power of 53. And then you have these multiple collections of cards twos, threes, and fours. And then those will be broken down into are they black reds or are they black black, red reds? How do they come together? So I actually find playing cards to be tremendously complex and feel that it takes a great deal of study to really get them under you know under your belt and know what you're doing. I have yet to learn those. It is on my list. <laughs> well, uh, I, I have never looked back. You know, once I started reading them, it just fit perfectly. And the other thing is that uh, whereas tarot cards are very popular, and I'm not trying to put down the tarot at all, they are only still becoming completely ingrained into the culture. 
meaning we have songs about playing cards, old, old songs. We have, they appear in our theater. They appear in our cinema. They appear in our language, you know. Uh, and so to me, they, they resonate. They have, a, they have a greater connection to us and the experience of what we're doing here. You know, aces and eights. Uh, you know, what else? The death card. Uh, you know, uh, uh, King of Diamonds is a hard card to play. Uh, Queen of Heart. I mean, you know, again and again, they're, 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 and that leads to understanding their place amongst us. Um, so if I can veer off here for a moment. Oh, of course. There's, there's a lot of people doing hoodoo these days. And, uh, and everybody's got some grandmother hidden. Uh, in in some ba- fruit cellar someplace that taught them their hoodoo, and it becomes a difficult situation because a lot of those people are honest. They do have a grandmother that did in fact do hoodoo, and more power to them and and blessings upon her. But a lot of people have this, and we saw this uh, uh, also arise in uh, oh modern neo paganism. Everybody had some great grandmother, right? Because they had to go back a little further, right? Because she had to come over from England. Um, who taught them all the secret witchcraft stuff. And you hear a lot of things that just don't make any goddamn sense, right? You're, right. you're the only person talking about this thing in hoodoo. And people say, well, how can we tell? Well, you can tell because of culture. Meaning, um, if you listen to songs, if you look at uh, theater, if you look at literature, people sing about, write about, and express what's going on around them. Right. So if you hear about a black cat bone in a blues song, you know a black cat bone something. So you know to be somewhat skeptical of someone telling you, oh, but the spotted squirrel bone is the greatest thing you can have in hoodoo because they ain't no goddamn old blues songs about the spotted squirrel. <laughs> And if there was, then you'd know, right? So to me, all of that's in one kind of bag together, you know? I understand completely. Now, you also do bibliomancy too, correct? Yes, that is correct. Can you explain to our audience um, what that actually entails, what it actually is for those that don't know and don't understand? Like, I didn't previously before we had our discussion. Sure, I'd I'd, I'd be happy to. So there's a, um, a technical and a literal meaning to this, okay? So technically, bibliomancy primarily means divinating with the Bible, all right? That's, its, that's its, its general meaning. However, literally, it means divination with a book. Okay. Biblio, bibliomancy, to, to, to divine with a book. And one need not use the Bible to engage in bibliomancy. However, if you're going to divine with another book, that book should be of sufficient size and sufficient content that you can get appropriate answers. Okay? So, in other, you know, like, oh, I've got this little 36-page book. You're not going to get very much bibliomancy out of that. Okay? Oh, I have this law book, and it's got 6,000 pages. Okay, but you're still probably not going to get a lot of bibliomancy out of that unless you're doing, trying to do bibliomancy about a legal matter. Okay? You need a book that has uh, a rich contextual body. So, but primarily, this is done with the Bible. 
And there are a number of different ways. First of all, it's a very, very old form of divination. And a lot of people go, oh, oh, come on now, it can't be, because, you know, oh, the Bible and magic and Bible people hate magic and, and you know, it's witchcraft and they all think Satan's lurking under every stone. And I go, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, sure, I live in America nowadays, but what you have to remember is that the situation we have in America at this particular moment, God help us, is not the situation that was in America 50 years ago, 100 years ago, or the situation that existed in other countries and with other cultures. And people have been using the Bible to divine for so easily, you know, hundreds, if not a thousand plus years. And they range from old Irish grams and mams to devout Jews, etc. And so there are a number of different ways one might do this. One of the standard ways is uh, you take the Bible into your hands, uh, you close your eyes, you concentrate and ask your question, um, and, you know, whatever it's going to be. And then you, with your eyes closed, open the Bible at random, allow it to fall open or open it purposefully, place your hand upon a page, and then some people will say, oh, you move your hand in a circular motion. Others will say you move it in a figure eight motion. Etc. Some people even make the sign of the cross. And then when your finger finally comes to rest, you open your eyes and you read the passage that your finger is upon, paying special attention to the word that your finger was on and attention to the passage directly above and directly below where your finger lays, and you take that as an answer to your question. Now, that being said, there are certain accepted uh, uh, points to this. One being that if you ever open that Bible and you are on a place where um, God, or if you're a Christian and you're using uh, the the uh, New Testament as well, Jesus is speaking, you're really supposed to pay extra attention. All right? Right. You're being spoken directly to, particularly if the passage has the words hath said, did say, does say, spoke, speaks. All right? In other words, it's speaking very much to you. All right? And then, of course, you have to take it within some sort of context. There are two levels. The first level is you take it literally, all right? Uh, Whatever it says, oh, you know, this guy went someplace with a donkey and, you know, they had some dates, okay? Uh, The other is that you take it metaphorically. But that is the first form of bibliomancy. The second form of bibliomancy is using the Bible as a pendulum. And it connects to claromancy, which is the using of a key uh, for divination. And in this, what happens is you place uh, a key on a lead into the Bible, normally towards the center of the Bible, and then you bind the Bible up with a piece of ribbon or cloth or thread uh, or twine, and then now you use that as a pendulum. And you use it exactly as you would use a pendulum. Uh, Some people, however, will use the key uh, through claromancy to divine over the open page that you have opened at random to find the word uh, that you use. So that's basically bibliomancy in a nutshell. I have not uh, had a chance to actually try, look, or delve into that as of yet, but it does sound very uh, deep 
Because, you know, I'm a very spiritual person. I believe in all religions. I believe there's truth in all religions, you know. And I'm a big, huge fan of all forms of divination. I just can't stop learning enough. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, you, you always learn something new that yes. then reflects well on something else you're doing. Yeah, and that's what uh, I think is the best is it every little bit you learn opens you up more. Uh-huh. You know, and allows you to see things in a different way, to be more clear, to open your mind, you know, as a diviner to more possibilities that you can look at. Because you can well, divine with anything. I think that's valuable. I really do. Uh, and I agree with what you're saying. But I also think the other direction is valuable, too. Um, so I see them both as being valuable, meaning I think someone who is skilled at a variety of different kinds of divination and has taken something from them that adds to a whole, a gestalt, right? The, the, mm-hmm. the sum is uh, greater than the parts. I think that can be very, very useful. But I also think that someone who just does one damn thing and they do it really well is also really valuable. You know, someone who's just like, let's say someone who's a, who's speaking of divination, let's say someone who's just a diviner, you know, and they just divine and they just divine in one way with a with an old piece of, uh, of, of wood, right? An old twig. And that's all they do, man. You know, they don't read cards. They couldn't tell you, uh, you know, a tarot card from a taco. They don't <laughs> they don't know any of that. But boy, can they divine, you know, they can find water. They can find anything. And so I think there's something to be said for both of those paths. Yes. Yeah, I think both paths are incredible. You know, I joke, and sometimes it's not always a joke, that I can read pretty much almost anything. Um, so far, it hasn't failed me. I did read somebody's future in a bowl of macaroni. Um, but it's, for me, about connecting with my intuition Right. You know, using whatever tools that I happen to have at that moment, whether they're cards, pasta, bones, shells, to just tune in, you know, and whatever messages, symbols, imagery that come to me. Yeah. That's what I interpret. Absolutely. And I think uh, an intuitive form of, of divination can be a very good thing. Uh, with someone who is well well grounded, uh, someone who has you know s- uh, some intelligence behind what they're doing, someone who's not given to flights of fancy, uh, because otherwise, then in- in- intuitive reading becomes you know uh, devil may care, whatever. It's all open, right? Yes. Uh, what's interesting to me about that is actually I have completely rejected intuitive reading uh, <laughs> and did so quite intentionally. Uh, because I wanted to get closer to the the sor- source of what was going on. So, like, I'll I'll do a card reading for someone, and they'll say, "Well, so these cards are saying all this that I'm that you're telling me, but you're getting that from me, right? I mean, you're psychic, you're picking that up." And I'm like, "I don't know you from Adam, you know, <laughs> but you knew this about my father. Yeah, it's right here, the King of Clubs, man. You know, in other words, I think that they both have a place." Yes. And they both have to be modified within each other. For me, I had to reject intuitive reading so that then I could become more 
uh, attuned to it. In other words, there are moments of intuitive sight of that gift that's passed along to us. And I happen to believe that gift is passed to us. I think it is a part of our blood. It's a part of our ancestral makeup, um, which I actually don't limit to a small group of people. I, I think we all have that. Uh, many people who come to me and say, well, how do I get this? You know, what, What's my first step? I say, listen, you have two choices here. You can go off and you can academically, scholastically study uh, the divinatory method, whatever it is. Uh, and that's a good place to start. I said, but the other thing is this. Think of this like a muscle. Think of this as a literal muscle in your body. Uh, but it's a very pretty, pretty rare muscle. Like it's behind your ear or something. Okay, You don't need it to lift your, things in your daily life or to walk or to bend or anything like that. But you've got this muscle behind your ear. And if you learn how to – first you have to find that muscle consciously with your brain, not subconsciously, not unconsciously. You have to consciously find that muscle. And if you find that muscle, you can learn how to make it kind of twitch. And if you do that, eventually you'll be able to, you know, uh, make your ears move. Uh, mm-hmm. And there are some people that can make their ears move, and there are some people that can't. And I go, it's just a, the same as a, going to the gym. When you go to the gym, you first time ever, and you, you know, maybe you've got a coach or somebody at the gym who says, oh, you got to do all these reps and all these sets and all this. Man, the day you walk out of that gym, you are so sore, <laughs> and you hurt in places. You're like, why am I hurting there? Right? <laughs> I've been You're there. hurting there because you didn't use, you haven't you ever really used or developed those muscles. And so it's the same thing, right? With intuition, with psychicism, with connection to spirit, you have to exercise the muscle and you have to feed the muscle uh, to develop it. And pretty soon, you'll be able to, you know, lift two pounds and then five pounds and then 20 pounds. But. The analogy for me is pretty sound because along the way, similar things are going to happen, meaning when you walk out of that gym and you hurt places that you didn't hurt before, there's an instinct to go, is there something wrong with my body? Wow, I hurt over here. Did, maybe did I, did I pull something or did I damage myself in that gym? And then in a couple of days, you feel fine. And you go, no, it's just the exercise. Well, the same thing is true here. Is when you first start delving into this, you start saying, am I crazy? <laughs> am I going out of my mind? Because you start you know, hearing things or seeing things or getting that intuitive push-pull that you haven't had before. And again, just like going to the gym, there are days you have to take off. right? You can't just keep working that muscle every day or you strain the muscle and then you are in a bad place. So that's, that's how I feel about it. And and you do. You always have to take breaks. You always have to. I mean, I went through at a young age being very uh, my crazy. Why am I seeing you know people that aren't really alive? You know, is it really my voice that I'm hearing, or am I hearing a spirit talk to me? Mm-hmm. And learning how to adjust and learning how to trust mm-hmm. as that muscle Absolutely. builds, you know, it takes time. And that leads to something that I feel is terribly important in divination. And uh, interestingly enough, 
my brother and very, very good friend, one of my best friends in the whole world, Candelo Cambisa, who was on your show last yes. week, uh, talked about man. this. And he's 100% true. And folks, you should go back and listen to that show. It's a great show. You can find it here in the archives uh, for uh, the Divination Table. And he talked about um, readers who say things like, does this resonate with you? Um, um, do, are you getting any sort of feeling off of what I'm saying? Um, do, uh, do you, are, you, are you seeing what I'm kind of, you know, it, they're very kind of wishy-washy. And he criticized that. And I happen to agree with him because I think the most important thing in divination, or at least one of the most important things, is what I call the voice of authority. And one must have the voice of authority. But here's the problem, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen. You can fake the voice of authority. All right? You can totally fake it. And that leads to a lot of trouble. And so I am not suggesting to people that you should practice the voice of authority, like, you know, a, a magpie or something. I'm saying you must develop the voice of authority. You must have trust in your tools in your own power, in your spirits, in your ancestors, in God, whatever, so that you can speak with the voice of authority because you know that it is so, not that you are deluding yourself or it is so, or you're just speaking very strongly because you want that, you know, hundred dollar twenty dollar payment at the end of the reading or whatever it's going to be, sixty bucks, two bucks, I don't give a damn. Um, so you have to be kind of careful. Because you can go to somebody who's a total fraud, and they will speak with the voice of authority. And I assure you, with no absolutely, let me tell you, Michael, you're going to meet a man with dark hair, and he's going to give you know, I mean, you can absolutely fake it. Oh, yes. But when you find those readers who have gained it, who have earned it, now you're now you're hearing somebody that you need to sit up and listen to. And in your own practice, I would encourage everyone. Uh, within the sound of my electronic voice, to <laughs> um, to really seek your own voice of authority and stop. Because here's the thing. I know people, okay? Let me talk about this for a moment at a client base. I have clients who come to me. This is a regular event. And they come to me and I'm reading for them. And they get flipped out, all right? They get freaked out and they go, uh, oh, my God. How could you know? Oh, 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 you know, like that's exactly right. And you, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and I just kind of sit there with this sort of bored, maudlin expression on my face, and I go, "You, you do realize you're paying me to do that? I mean, right? I mean, like you came to me, right? Like, like we didn't bump into each other on a street corner, and I said, "Oh, hey, how you doing, Pally? You want a card reading? I mean, like you've hunted me up." Right or spoke to your pal or your friend or somebody. Then you said, "Oh, oh, Chris Porterfield, man, I gotta get a reading this cat." And then you came. And then you took your hard-earned American money, okay, and paid me. All right. And then we had to make a time to get together. And then we sat down and we had to light a candle. And there was a crow and shit. And like I, I read your card. Like, what were you like? It's like it's like if you went to your mechanic. And he said, oh, yeah, the alternator there. You got to You see the alternator blow this. See right here? See, it's got a crack in it. So see, like, when the alternator's cold, 
See, the crack ain't so wide. So the car starts. Then the car heats up. Alternating the crack uh, heat expands. The crack goes big. Boom, it stops. So we put. I had Carl put a new alternator in. It's fine. And you go, oh, my God, you can fix cars. <laughs> yeah, pal, he's just a mechanic right out there up front when you walked in. I mean, you know, in other words, what I'm trying to say here is they didn't even believe when they came to you. Right. Okay. Now. The problem is that that's true of readers, okay? Certainly it's true of clients. Hey, they, they're not in the business, right? They, they, they don't have the gift. They haven't exercised that muscle behind their ear. So it is a little amazing to them. But I know readers that are like this. I know readers who go, oh, my God, I got it right. <laughs> Son of a I, – I, uh, You know, when I walk yeah. into doing a reading for somebody – you know, and you know, I'm a member of a lot of different uh, Facebook groups where I participate. I do little mini readings. I help educate. Um, one of the things that I always do is I go into the reading when somebody asks a question, and I blurt out or type out whatever spirit has for me, and I leave it. Right. You know. When we're learning, you know, new readers, people that are just trying to elevate themselves and lift, I do feel that asking for whether it is validated, whether it resonates, does help them with that whole learning how to trust and learning to trust their spirits and their guides. Uh, Indeed, but there's a time and a place. Yes. I finish every reading. Every reading I've ever done to anyone, anywhere, to this day, with the following sentence. Was this of any aid to you? Okay, now the reading's over. We're done. All right, we're done. They're packing up, whatever. And I, it Was this of any aid to you? Okay, because at the end of the day, this is not a, a stage magician's trick. Okay, right. at the end of the day, this isn't, you know, I mean, I know there are people that do this for entertainment, and that's a different completely different show um, but what we're doing here is trying to render aid all right they had a question sometimes it's a frivolous question and you know you get them and you go oh okay wow you paid me all this damn money to ask me about tittles the cat okay and you're not asking if tittles is going to get over his feline leukemia which is a more serious question you're asking some silly question all right well you paid here's your answer about tittles the cat but nine times out of ten these are not frivolous questions they're very important questions they're questions about people's future they're questions about people's love lives they're questions about people's money they're questions about people's well-being and we as readers owe these people a certain level of respect, a respect for their question, a respect for their troubles, a respect for their humanity, okay? And that is one of the reasons we need to develop a truthful voice of authority. The problem is that in a, in participants in a Western culture, we're trapped in this idea that somewhere it's not real, okay? And if it's not real, Okay, then that means one of two things. A, get the hell out. I mean, seriously, just get out. I mean, not like in a hostile or nasty way. Just do yourself a favor and don't dick around with it, okay? Or B, you're a sham. You're a fraud. You're a carny. 
Okay, <laughs> and I any and any of us can sit and do that. We all know what the t- normal problems of someone's lives are. We can all sit and go, you know, you'd come to me tomorrow, and I could go, uh, Michael, you've had troubles in the past. Well, fucking duh. Right? <laughs> Show me a human being who has not had troubles into the past. Oh, you're seeking something. Well, again, duh, you came in here for a reading. It doesn't take a genius to figure. Okay, so there can be fraudulent readings. So what we have to do is not go whole hog. We can't just go, everything spirit tells me is true. Okay, I mean, I know these people. Okay? Every flat tire they have is a jinx. Okay. Sometimes a flat tire is just a fucking flat tire. Yeah, it's just a flat tire, pal. Sometimes there are nails in the road and stuff, okay? Hey, Uh, let us take a quick minute for a quick short break. Um, If you need to use the bathroom, grab a drink, go ahead and do so. I'll play a little bit of music, and we'll be back in about less than three minutes. Sounds great. with Professor Charles Porterfield. So, Charles. Yes, sir. I hear that you will be at this fabulous gala. 
That is correct. I indeed will be at a fabulous gala. In fact, I'll be at two fabulous galas this year. The first one is the 2018 Big Apple Conjure Gala, uh, which is the first uh, inaugural Big Apple Conjure Gala. It will be April 14th and 15th of this year at the Sheraton Hotel in downtown Brooklyn. And you can find out more about that at www.bigappleconjuregala2018.com. And then later in the year, September, I will be at the Mile High, the 2018 Mile High Conjure Gala. And you can find out more about that at the milehighconjuregala.com website. And that will be in Denver, Colorado. But in April, we're going to be in Brooklyn. It's going to be amazing. We're going to have so many fantastic people there. I can't tell you. It's just, I am, I, I'm just, it's so wonderful to be able to work with all these folks. We're going to have Candelo Kimbisa, Ambrosine Laguerre, Michelle Jackson, Professor Ames, Leila Marino, Star Casas, Beverly Smith, and uh, Brother R.J. James. They're all going to be there. We're all going to be doing classes. We're all going to be doing readings. You can actually come and meet us and talk to us. Um, we're going to have a, a wonderful uh, party gala after the workshops and after the day is done, and you'll be able to come and hang out. It's just, it's just going to be a fantastic time. We did one last year um, in Denver. Uh, that's the Mile High, and it, we had such a wonderful crowd, and we're really looking forward to having people there. So uh, tell your mom, tell your dad, tell your brothers, tell your sisters, tell your aunts, tell your uncles, tell your nieces, tell your nephews, tell the guy <laughs> down the street. Tell everybody that you know and share and share and share and share. share. That is a phenomenal lineup. You know, I've talked with several of these different people. I love a lot of these people. You know, I'm a big supporter of community. You know, I think that this is going to be a huge event. I'm hoping so. Uh, It's uh, we're just starting to do this. and, And basically what we're doing is we're putting these events together throughout the country, uh, place by place. And uh, we're going into places, and as you can tell, we're naming each one after the nickname for the the city, Big Apple, Mile High. And what we're trying to do is, rather than have to have everybody come to the thing, you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, it's going to be in the Aleutians, and you have to fly to Alaska. Uh, What we're trying to do is say, no, 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 no. It's going to come to you, Okay. It's going to be in Colorado. It's going to be in New York. It's going to be in Los Angeles. It's going to, I guarantee you it's going to be in Dallas. 100%. I hope so. <laughs> Absolutely. Because uh, uh, Tata Candelo, my, my good friend, is moving here to where I live. And so, you know, people have mixed feelings about that. I'm like, <laughs> yay! Everybody else is like, oh, God, they're going to be in the same place at the same time all the time. Jesus, what are we going to do? And I'm like, you're screwed! Um, so <laughs> You're going to have to get him a set of boots. You know, a nice pair custom-made like those ones on your website. Oh, we're doing oh. all of it. We're getting him boots, a hat, a duster. He needs all of that. I, uh, I'm a big boot person. You know, I love, I've worn cowboy boots a lot of my life. Mostly now I do it because of my back. It right. readjusts my my hip, takes the pain off of my sciatic nerve. Um, but I've always loved them. 
You know, a good pair of boots will last you a lifetime if you take care of them. Mm-hmm. Or at least for decades, you yes. know, at least for decades. And, um, and you kind of need them here because we have things that bite. Um, so, oh, Candela um, will have fun with that. Yeah, you know, it'll be easy, <laughs> man. You know. So, what wow. um, tips or tricks or anything that you could give to our audience um, that you feel would help lift their readings? to new levels, things that you feel that are important for either seasoned or new people that are getting into divination. Since we're speaking broadly and we have to address many different forms of divination, let's keep it broad. Yes. Um, Keep in contact with your tools, whatever your tools are. I mean, listen, I, I pretty much walk around all day with a deck of cards in my hand. All right. In other words, I dislike this practice of placing our tools away, okay, and only going to them when we need them. To me, that's like, uh, I have two grown sons, okay, Uh, and when I mean grown, I mean grown. They have children, and every parent knows the feeling of, once your kids are grown up, of having them only contact you when they need something, all right, (laughs) and so I feel like... that should be stopped between we and our tools only going to them when we need them. I think we need to be touching them more. I think we need to be dealing with them more. That's not to say that they should necessarily be taken out of a sacred space. If your tools belong in a sacred space, or if your readings can only transpire in a sacred space, by all means, they have to be kept there. But I guess the broadest, most general piece of advice I could give is stay in contact with your tools. The next piece of advice I would give is figure out where the hell you fit in the universe. Okay? Um, I have a thing I say in my work uh, before I begin a piece of work, whether it's conjure work or divination. I say, by all the spirits that serve me, by the spirits and ancestors who walk with me, and by my God that I serve, I now, okay, etc. So in other words, I know my place in the universe. Um, let's neither humble ourselves too far. Oh, I'm just nobody. Okay, well, then you will be nobody. And let's not go too big. I know everything. I'm the almighty. You know, no, 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 no. Let's know our place. And let's know who we work with and why we're working together in anything we're doing, okay? Um, And for me, that's also terribly important amongst humans. I know people that honor the spirits. Boy, do they honor spirits who honor the ancestors. Man, they've got the most elaborate ancestor altar you could ever... Man, they're they're out every day buying flowers and candy and fruit, and they treat other human beings like shit. Yeah. All right? Let's stop that. Let's let's, let's really... Let's put a... Can we... 2018, can we not do that? All right? You know, it's a sad Uh, thing when, as a spiritual being... Or practitioner, reader, it doesn't matter what tradition. When you can't follow what I consider to be basic tenets, 
uh-huh. of treating people kind, nice, uh-huh. and you can't open yourself, treat people better than you treat, you know, whether it's your tools, your pets, whether it's ancestors, whether it's your spirits. The way you treat people reflects the way you really, truly practice from the heart. That's right. And it reflects who you are. Um, Interestingly enough, um, in Hebrew, the root word of the words righteousness and the word charity are the same root word, tzad. Okay? So in other words, charity and righteousness are hand in hand, you see? So how we treat people determines kind of who we are. Uh, And as a Jew, which I am, for me it's about action. I I don't care. I don't give a damn what's going on inside people's heads, okay? I care what they're doing, okay? I care what your actions are in this world. Man, you can go you can go home and close your door and cuss me out, okay? You can call me everything but a child of God. I don't care. I care about how you treat me in the street. You know, it's important, you know, how we treat other people, how we, you know, lift and take care of community. I mean, we've lost that whole sense of community in the world. What well, let me tell you about the idea of community within the context of spiritual work, particularly within the context of diviners, since this is the divination table, and unfortunately within the world of hoodoo. When you go and look at spiritual paths that are initiatory paths, no matter what's good about them, or what's bad about them, they have community. Yes. All right? It's built in. It's built in. The rest of this doesn't have this. Okay? You can go and read the intros of a crow professionally. I don't know where you're going to be getting all these crows. <laughs> uh, but you don't, But that, that doesn't come with any network. You see what I'm saying? And the same is true of conjure and hoodoo. It doesn't necessarily come because it's a non-initiatory tradition. All right? And... Therefore, you have to do one thing. And if you do this thing, you will form community around yourself. You will become the nucleus of a community. And that is this. You have to treat people with compassion, empathy, respect, and decency. Period. Amen. Okay? Because you are the person. This stuff didn't find you, you found it. No matter what you feel like your spiritual story is, you still found it. Okay? You became the diviner. You became the person who put your shingle out and said, come on to me for uh, $6.95 and I will read thy cards. Okay? You therefore put yourself in the exact same room as the lawyer, the doctor, and the priest, oh, and the bartender. Okay? If you don't want to deal with people, if you don't want to deal with people's problems, if you don't have compassion, if you don't want to exercise your own humanity towards others, please do everyone and yourself a favor and run 
the fuck away from being a part of something like this. Because it takes a lot, you know. Oh, yes, it does. You can't not care about people, not care about humanity, problems. You can't not have compassion and do what we do. And you can't expect to have a community without those things. Those are the foundation, the, the founding principles of community, co-munity, not bi-munity, not tri-munity, co-munity, to work together like co-operation. Okay, we have to we have to be giving and we have to be taking, and that is the next thing I would say for. God's sakes, please remember that you can't pour water out of an empty cup. <laughs> okay? You have to have something back to. The worker in the vineyard is worthy of their due. Okay? You are worthy of being paid. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. You are worthy of respect. You are worthy of decency. You are worthy of humanity. You are worthy of compassion as well. So, because you have to understand you're dealing with people sometimes who are essentially drowning, okay? And any lifeguard in the world will tell you that if you don't handle a drowning person correctly, what will they do? They will drown you. Exactly. They will take you down with them. They'll take you down with them. So you have to know how to help them. And so, you know, there are a lot of people who are doing this and they're just having a good time and by all means have a good time, but realize that there's going to come a day when someone's going to come and sit on the other side of the divination table from you, and they're going to lay out a question in front of you, and you're going to go, oh, wow. All right? And it's no longer fun in games. And um, there, let me I have gi- done that. <laughs> let me give you a little example of that. Going back to talking about reading cards in a run. There is an old American card reading uh, principle about two cards appearing together okay three cards i should say it's the ace of spades the ten of spades and the joker okay so obviously you have to have a reading style that would ever allow those to appear together we already talked about that now they have one meaning a murder or a murderer in all the years i've read i've seen that i've seen that those three cards together three times just three times. And in each time, two times, there was in fact a murder. And that was the part what the person would come to talk to me about, was a murder. The third time was the person I was reading for was in fact a murderer. So you want to talk about, you know, funny game time ends. Yeah, <laughs> that would put a damper on your day. Right, and you've got to know what to do, Okay. So we have to we have to have our humanity, and we have to share it. Otherwise, eh, why are you doing this? Because listen, I, I, I tell all my young students this: you can make more money as a butcher. I mean, seriously, you can make a lot of money as a butcher. I mean, you can make a lot of money as a car mechanic. Have you seen how much air conditioning and heating guys are making? Man, double time for them is uh, I could pay off my house. Okay. <laughs> By all means, if you're in this to make money, go get into something else. You'll make more money. On that note, I want to thank a few people in our chat room um, that came and joined us live. We've got EF Still, RK, I'm not sure if it's Gomes or Gomez, um, Annabelle, Terry Smith, um, Nasur, 
they came to join us live. Um, before we head out, how would our wonderful listeners be able to get a hold of you um, if they wanted to do a reading, bibliomancy, if they want one of your incredible lamps that you do? I, it's easy. You just go to professorporterfield.com, the home of all Professor Porterfield-related things. And now, just so they know, what services do you offer on your site? I know you do certain readings. I, I, I do a variety of readings. I do card readings. I do a full-life Torah reading. I do, will do bibliomancy at request. I also, as you pointed out, make conjure lamps, uh, which I am very proud of. I make mojo bags. I do spell work. Um, uh, pretty much all the things that are fairly normative within who do I do. Uh, I also teach and lecture and make public appearances. I, I do all of that, but obviously the prices change. You know, if you want me yes. to come to your house in Tuktiuktuk and give you a spiritual bath, <laughs> that's going to cost you. Uh, but uh, I, I do all of that and uh, also uh, have in the past done a radio show and will probably be doing one in the future and hope to have you on it. Well, I would be absolutely honored to be on your show. Thank you. I'm not sure what I'll talk about. <laughs> well, you name it, we can talk about it. <laughs> well, as we come to an end, I want to thank everybody for joining us and listening to us on this wonderful day with Professor Charles Porterfield. Charles, would you like to say our final farewell? Yes, I would. I would like to thank everyone for being here. May you all rise in strength. May you all lay down to rest. May you find your way through your troubles and come to yourself. And you have been listening to The Divination Table with Michael Lennon here on Spreaker. Be sure to check in each and every week for more fabulous discussion and interviews. Be sure to tell your friends. Thank you very much for joining us and have a beautiful day. You too.